Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Dalitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Dalitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy. And as always, the man that I can't do without, Richard Hill, Managing Editor and Writer and Presenter and everything. Hi, Richard. Oh, it's great. No, we can't do without each other. It's really getting quite, uh, quite, quite uh, uh, annoyingly beautiful. You know, it's uh, right. <laughs> it's it's great. It was it was interesting. I was I was I was just doing something. I said, "Oh, I need Matt to just help me with that." And I think this sort of naturalness of co-creating. Uh, mm-hmm. co-creating experience is something that you know I encourage everybody to um to allow to to enha- enable it and enhance it and yeah. when you find somebody who's a resource or who's resourceful um mm-hmm. just be very open about saying oh do you mind if I ask you about that and then set it up and then you go and do that we need just those handful of people I mean um, uh, my dear wife Susie uh you know if ever I have a question about the body or, or, or the physical side of things i don't sort of go oh i shouldn't ask you oh, i should do it all myself i just mm. go hey Suze, what about that so yeah yeah so, I, so we, I, we we it's not that we can't do without each other but <laughs> why would we why well, would I, we i think Absolutely. one of the one of the valuable things that we've discovered about each other is our strengths and weaknesses and and we say to each other you go with your strengths and it just happens that my strengths will, will cover your weaknesses and vice versa. So, yeah. Uh, yeah this, this thing of finding, find naturally allowing the system to self-organize mm. uh, comfortable roles and, and role engagements. And then the other part of it is, of course, not to isolate those, those roles or separate them. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I know in my marriage, I like, I actually prefer to do the ironing and the vacuuming. That's, mm. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Sound, yeah. yeah. The four guy. But that doesn't mean that, that Susie never does it. And that does, you know, she likes yeah. to cook, but I so you cross over. So, you know, life is a Venn diagram. But um, right. yeah. Uh, yeah, and absolutely. so that's nice. Anyway, that was a yeah. bit of a beautiful <laughs> sidetrack just for as listeners. You're valuable to us. I mean, we don't see you, but then that engagement that comes is really important. So please feel free to send uh, comments and thoughts and uh, a- any suggestions. Uh, and absolutely. of course, if there's anybody out there who thinks they've uh, they'd love to be in the podcast. I mean, it's uh, hmm. all, all we want is interesting people. I mean, I don't know who everybody is. So send in some things saying, hey, I've got this book or I've got this thing or I've got this practice. You know, would you be interested in doing it? And don't be, don't expect me to say yes or to say no. Just yeah. start the engagement and see what we could create. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love your engagement. And if you've, if you've got um, comments, you know, let us know. If And especially if you're one of our subscribers to the scienceofpsychotherapy.net, we would love your engagement on that platform as well. As you know, if you're in, in the academy there, there's lots of opportunity to make comments and ask questions, give us answers, you know, just, just engage with us. That would be fantastic. <laughs> and our guest today is a wonderful example of engagement. Now, this is not our first, uh, our first chat. This is a, a uh, someone who who rises and falls into our experience at appropriate times, and she's been doing some fabulous work on COVID and long COVID, so absolutely ideal. And she let us know that she was doing this stuff, and we said, "Oh gosh, we've got to talk about this." So tell us about who we've got today. All right, we've got Dr. Rebecca Menes coming back to talk to us today, and uh, she's a learning specialist in private practice. She's got uh, thirty-five years of experience and. 
teaching children and adults in New York City and around the world. I think she was just coming back from Europe or somewhere uh, <laughs> the other yeah. day. So she she gets around and uh, she's uh, an expert in developmental psychology. So she's good value. And just super smart and super nice. Love love talking to Rebecca. So uh, let's uh, let's pop off to the uh, we're going to the east coast of the US of A. Rebecca Menes, thank you for joining us once again on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so good to see you. It's wonderful to see you, and thank you for hosting me. Yeah, it's great to see you, Rebecca. It's been a little while, but we have had chats and emails and bits and pieces. So good to see your lovely face again. So, Rebecca, catch us us up and uh, let us know what you've been up to. So I'm continuing to uh, live and work in the Big Apple in Manhattan while also working with people across the United States and really across the globe. Uh, It's been uh, an interesting phase given that schools and individuals, families are at different stages in terms of Uh, back to life post-COVID and uh, having an opportunity to think about some of the priorities that await individuals and institutions, of course, families or institutions, thinking about those. Uh, Among that, things such as learning loss, thinking about how to return to a hybrid workplace, say if you have ADD. And one of the main areas that uh, my colleagues and I are particularly thinking about is long COVID, how to address the cognitive and stress and health responses that some people have after this inflammatory illness. Right. Now, this is nothing um, new in terms of, you know, dealing with um, assaults on the brain um, and our nervous system. Um, So how are you and your colleagues uh, approaching this, uh, these difficulties? Yeah, well, you know, as a colleague, as a colleague recently wrote, uh, we have to recognize that for some people, there's going to be a what he referred to as a tidal wave of mm. symptoms and what we sometimes call sequelae, after effects that are impacting some people. And one of the realities that we're grappling with uh, as a discipline is that this inflammatory response which is really what long COVID is, can take so many forms. So in the same way that Lyme disease, concussion, seizure can impact the brain in different ways, uh, medically-based cognitive issues impact the whole person, and they also can impact a person's thinking in different ways ways. The the COVID can get into different parts of the brain, into the lungs. And so that in turn impacts the individual's experience. While we don't know that much about the specific project, long-term trajectory of COVID because it's a new disease, we do know quite a bit about how to, oh, sorry about that, it's Paul Simon, how to approach uh, the reality of other medically-based difficulties and ways that they're actually quite different from developmental cognitive difficulties, such as ADD and dyslexia. And so that's really the challenge for us as clinicians. Because what's what's interesting, sort of just putting aside the fact all the the, the human um, struggle and 
difficulties and, and emotional distress that COVID, just trying to talk about the subject itself for, for a second, is that um, uh, it's really brought to people's minds the interconnectedness that 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 we have because as as we were just sort of chatting there I was jotting down some of the different things that have been coming up I mean the the COVID certainly has major effects on the lungs um, so this is post recovery from the um, the seriousness of the disease indeed leaves damage it has uh, serious um, now we're starting to see it has serious effects on heart so not yes. exactly also where the the sinoatrial uh, rhythms are are being affected of course what you were just saying there COVID COVID actually uh, is uh, is a viral infection that moves into the to the brain, but of yes. course we know uh, we had a wonderful uh, podcast a little while ago with John Leaf again talking about the the cellular work and the conversation that the messages that the T cells bring all through the body and the brain Indeed. and suddenly and suddenly people are going oh my god uh, and I've got a client who uh, uh, had an early uh, Epstein Barr um, virus earlier in life which is now fired up, and she's finding herself only able to actually manage uh, on an energy level for somewhere between an hour, an hour and a half, I suppose what Ernie and I, Ernie Rossi and I would call the ultradian uh, sort of rhythm of energy, but then they're actually depleted uh, after that. So there's there's perhaps only two or three hour uh, hour or so uh, areas of activity they can do. So for those people who are dramatically affected, it's very dramatic. So on that sort of framework, yes. please fill us in on uh, any of the, the details on some of that. Well, I, I think that your uh, analogy and the insights that you're drawing from this client are spot on. They're really a metaphor for how we can grapple with coming to learn about long COVID and how to help people while also not being threatened by that, but rather building upon some of what we've learned about how to work as a team and also what we know about the field of neuropsychology. You know, Epstein-Barr is another example of a virus that, as you said, impacts energy level, it it impacts thinking, it impacts what we call cognitive tempo or pacing of which we at which we process information. And in fact, a lot of the current thinking is that some of the symptoms are connected to these cytokine storms, which is sort of like when the inflammation turns on the system and causes your system to have a hyper response. In many ways, that's very similar to MECFS, chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome. Chronic fatigue. Yes, and, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. and so among the, the many thinkers who are really trying to understand this is Dr. Susan Levine, an immunologist in, in New York City at Cornell Medical Center. And she's really been at the forefront for exactly that reason. So while long COVID is new, we know, for example, about Epstein-Barr. We know about Lyme. We know about about chronic fatigue. And we can use that information to empower our clients and to try to think as a team. Uh, One of the other things that uh, you may have discussed in this earlier podcast is that one of the particular um, realities is that there's not a direct correlation between severity of COVID and severity of long COVID symptoms. So in other words, a person may have unfortunately had a mild case of COVID, 
and yet have very significant fatigue, very significant difficulty with what we call working memory or being able to take in to and then absorb and systematize many details. And that really throws people for a loop. They're like, oh, my throat was bothering me a bit, but I got over it in two days. And yet when the person goes back to work, now it's a hybrid workplace, needs to prioritize what to work on at home, what to plan for when a particular associate is in-house. And suddenly that's very difficult, affecting executive functions, another area we've certainly discussed in the past. So so what are the are there some foundational principles that we can work with here as psychotherapists so you know we're not neurologists we're not doing any sort of medical intervention but what what are the principles for psychotherapists who are doing primarily talk therapy um to support these people Sure so i think there are a number of of helpful thoughts number 1 is let's think as a team Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a difference between neuropsychological testing, which does serve a function. It's the flag I often wave in understanding how to address cognitive issues. But we know that neuropsychological testing, as important as it is, is a snapshot. It's sort of like a high def snapshot or say mini video. That's different from IRL in real life. In the same way, you are likely picking up on details from your conversation with your clients that are very informative. You're also hearing patterns. You're hearing the clients say that there's anxiety, but it's secondary to being unclear about how to manage time or deal with with fatigue. Uh, You're noticing whether a particular uh, client is having a hard time following Longer sentences, whether you're finding that the person fizzles out during discussion or maybe warms up once you get back into discussing and the engine gets revved for the themes. So so that's number one, that, that there's critical information that therapists have based on those conversations and patterns. Another... Did you have yeah, a, a thought yeah? About so that? that's the so that's still the the diagnostic part. That's a, an understanding of what what's going on, and then mm-hmm. sorry, then you're going to go on to intervention. Sure. Yeah, and then of course this is the question: What do we do with that? Yeah. So I think one piece is that we can encourage our clients to to really I call it be your own CEO to be to be in charge. After all, they're the experts of their own experience, and to really think through what that means in terms of that window of tolerance. Is it that I can get going in the morning when I'm feeling sharper? Is it that I I know I discussed this with my with my mate the other day, but but when I'm with my life partner, I really need to have a list of the priorities that we discussed because I, I get exhausted. Um, another theme is that we know that executive functions, being able to systematize and sequence and working memory, being able to hold information and manipulate it, and also processing speed, the pace that we take in information and use it. Those are hallmark areas that seem to be particularly tough for people with long COVID. There are also areas that tend to be tough in general for people with medically-based 
cognitive issues, whether it's Epstein-Barr, whether it's concussion, whether it's Lyme. So, well, what does that mean? It means that the more that our clients have systems to physically track information, to visually see it. Yeah. And that is an enormous stress reducer. Mm. Uh, when I work, I worked with somebody in the Emirates the other day. We do a lot of using whiteboards to track information during our Zoom appointments. Uh, that's something that you can do in a Zoom appointment or right in the office. Um, so helping our, our clients think through how to prioritize, but to do it by physically manipulating information and having a reference point. Because there's a few things really interesting just going on here. Uh, because, of course, uh, quite a few of those those elements of uh, poor working memory, lack of focus, uh, uh, draining of attention, are things that can be symptomologies uh, on the basis of, of uh, still held trauma of mm. long long based uh, yes. PTSD and so on and so forth. Mm. So yes, what, what I'm what I'm hearing, and I'll just tell you what I'm hearing, and then please discuss it. Uh, uh, to be looking at changes. To looking at changes yes. in in this performance, uh, you went through a beautiful list there of uh, you know working memory, being able to hold sequences. Yes. Yeah, that was great. Everybody just just tick those down. But the other question that just comes into my mind, um, uh, I know that when a client comes in, I want to find out what their sleep is. I want to find out what their diet is. I want to find out what their ex- exercise is. Basic basic sort of uh, uh, programs. Now. It seems that it would be very helpful for me as a, as a psychotherapist to know if they've had COVID or not. But are we are we still at a point where that's a testing um, privacy question? Uh, you know, to blatantly sort of say, and you know, have you done this, you know, this, and have you had COVID? Uh, uh, what are we at there with mm-hmm. the sensitivity that people have? Uh, to declaring or admitting it, the, the, those different other emotional things of guilt or, or uh, well, I don't know. What, what yeah. thoughts do you have? I mean, we, we, it has to be thoughts because we're still, we're still processing all this. I think it's an excellent point. What you're really saying is that we want to think about the whole individual and we want to think about pacing. My guess is that some people will come in with some thoughts. They may say, I found that since COVID, it's just way too hard to get started. Uh, You know, among neuropsychologists, there is a whole uh, ongoing uh, uh, discussion about issues of malingering. This is very much the case in terms of concussion, for example. Oh, yeah, it's been around for a long time, yeah. Mm. Right, where some people feel, uh, you know, the person's claiming that that's what it is. In reality, the person had a history of trauma. In reality, the person is just interested in, in cutting back and the person has to just get back on the proverbial horse, right? So, so that, of course, is something to think about. But regardless of whether it is long COVID or maybe the person's uh, misattributing and needing to just get back onto a schedule. Obviously, step one is to is to listen to what the person has to say. I would say that that your approach, which is really trying to think about sleep cycle, nutrition, exercise, also uh, helps us think through and helps us open the door toward those discussions. Are, are you noticing that there's a difference in your exercise pattern? Oh, you're saying that you're finding that it's hard to really catch your breath and that it's not just a matter of 
not having gone to the gym for for the past month. Um, so we so need, I think that that's need very us, important. Yeah, we need we need we need to maintain and if not increase our sensitivity uh, to 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 what the client is telling us because uh, it is very hard to know that there are these things to be concerned, but not to become really an invader uh, of their um, mm. of their you know jump in too quickly. We've got to wait for them, don't we, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's another, there's a few confounding sort of things. I mean, when you're talking about fatigue, short, um, you know, memory and speed of process, all of this um, could also be correlated with um, chronic stress and chronic inflammation from just absolutely. This, the whole situation that we've been through in the last two years. And so, um, you know, regardless of um, a viral infection, you know, these things can have, you know, a, a severe impact. Um, and and the other thing is, um, you know, vaccination. We're hearing, you know, people getting um, vaccine injured as well. And there's, a, there's another variable, um, you know, yes. to throw into the mix. And I guess the, you know, at the end of the day, um, whatever the whatever the causes are, um, sure. we, we, we can't do anything about that. What we're left with is how to how to treat, you know, the, the patient moving forward. And I think yes. um, be, because there are so many confounding variables that can lead to the, this symptomatology, you know, we we really, um, you know, I, I think it's, 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 it's good to, you know, get a, get a full picture, get as much history as possible. Um, but the key thing is working with what you have right in front of you. Would you agree? I would agree. And I think the other part of it is to is to sort of demystify it with them to say, look, this is something that we're all really learning about. Mm-hmm. What we can do, I, I sometimes joke, I say we want to understand the broader information, but then we want to look at, uh, going back a little bit of our statistics here, we're looking at N of one. In the end, we care about the individual in front of us. So yeah. we want to use the information and the insights that we know more globally, but then each person is so unique. And that's particularly important, particularly, I think, empowering uh, for clinicians and for clients. Why? Well, we know that typically when there's a medically-based cognitive issue, okay, Mm -hmm. first of all, it has to be that there's a stress factor. There's an element of grief, reality, having to having responsibilities, especially if we're talking about adults. Okay. So there's that. The other reality is that the norm among people who have had a medically based acquired issue is that they retain a lot of their prior intellectual ability, mm-hmm. but these difficulties manifest as they need to apply skills to new areas. Shall I give you an example? Yes, please, please. So, so as an example, let's say a person has had. Again, we're we're talking here about uh, not a significant brain injury, right? We're not talking heaven forbid about something that just knocks a person out where their where their intelligence is totally depleted from a horrible, horrible injury, right? But let's say a person had had Lyme or a mild concussion or MECFS or uh, or might have had radiation therapy for cancer as an adult, or long COVID 
what tends to happen is that the person's reasoning stays strong and the person's basic skills, the person's, here I'm being a little bit of a learning specialist, wonk, okay? The person's ability to decode long words, right? It, we would not expect that a person would have trouble recognizing sight words if given an achievement test of common words. But when that person needs, let's say the person is an attorney and the person needs to absorb case material for a new referral, the person may know that retain that there are certain patterns about a certain statute of limitations. And that would stay strong. But that person may find that following a meeting on a Zoom call and having to come up with the words to communicate a plan is harder in real life. Right. That person may find that getting through a hundred pages of a PDF to identify the salient points is harder. That person may find that figuring out how to prioritize use of the paralegal takes mm. more steps. And that can be very confusing and very stressful. Uh, yeah. Then of course, when we add the reality of new technologies, that we, we all need to get used to, again, switching gears, and the reality of uh, our society expecting people to produce quickly, right? With Zoom, you can just add a document to a chat box in a nanosecond. But is the person able to synthesize the information and lay out an outline immediately? Mm -hmm. So these, these are very interesting things. So just yeah. taking that example, so you have this attorney, you know, who's your client. Um, yes. And what what would you be doing, like in practical terms? So we'd be doing a number of things. First of all, I would be speaking with folks like you because yeah. you would have insights perhaps of the person's experience before, okay? Mm -hmm. So if this is somebody with whom you've worked before, it's very helpful for me to hear, to hear your insights. Uh, to give you an example, a colleague of mine had found that it was really important with some of her clients who had uh, medically-based learning issues, it was important for her to have a Zoom background that was less visually right. complex because they mm. just couldn't focus on what was being said yep. it, with a busy backdrop, okay? Uh, you may know that it's important for me to check in with the client about that person's sleep schedule or about that person's propensity to spend a bit too much time on the internet before going to sleep and what that does with the blue light, what that does to that person's circadian rhythm. Uh, you may know that this is a person who tends to be able to absorb more information when she's feeling more calm and that having used headspace was very helpful. So, that, mm. so that's number one. One of the things that I'll often do is take a look at neuropsych testing or just try to think through practically, kind of be an armchair uh, clinician or brain, brain person with, with the student and try to think through, are you a person who likes to talk things through? Are you a person who likes to physically be doing things? I've got my little post-it pad here. Um, for many people, physically writing things down and moving around the post-its helps them sequence information much better right. than just 
discussion. So that's a, a big part of what we would be doing. Because working memory and executive functions can be compromised, and because having to work with new information can be so tiring, just as Richard was saying, another thing that I'll do quite a bit with folks is have them try to think about the subroutines or the mini aspects of a task and then have them estimate how long they think things will take. Uh, you may know about the Pomodoro method. That's one useful method. I can send you a link if you'd like. There are some lovely apps and and Google plugins, but the idea of Pomodoro, which is just one method, is try to think about working in, for 20 minutes. What do you think you can accomplish in 20 minutes yeah. and then take a break? Um, and what I encourage people to do is to estimate or predict what they think they can do or how much time a task will take. I encourage them to then leave 50% extra time mm -hmm. and then time themselves, not for everything, but maybe for one or two activities a day, because they may find that certain things just are much more complex than they expected. And it's adding to their stress that it's more involved. They may find that there are other things that they're avoiding or catastrophizing. And when they get going, we call that task activation. When they get going, actually, it's much smoother and much more efficient than they anticipated. Um, yeah. You can also hear that I'm encouraging people to think about when it's useful to use the paper and pencil and when it's useful to use one of many wonderful apps that are yeah. out there. So there's a lot there about simplifying things, isn't there? I, I love this mm. what, what you brought up about visual processing, and I, I understand that when you're in a in a, a, a very busy environment like my office, with <laughs> you know, is visually very stimulating, and, and visual yes. processing takes even if it's unconscious, the things that we're not aware of our visual you know processing is is going on, even though we're not cog um, cognitive of a, a lot of what we are seeing. Where we're, we're focusing on one thing. Still, I understand that if you clean up your work area, if it if you make it very you know simple and um, and clean and be a minimalist, um, then there's less cognitive processing that needs to go on in the visual realm, um, and you can uh, you know use that uh, cognitive power for what you're focusing on and um, breaking down tasks and all, all the yeah a lot about yeah. simplicity. It's beautiful. Well, I was just uh, realizing this very simple uh, thing as we were talking about saying, you know, make your workspace area and all that sort of bits and pieces. Uh, I don't look at that behind mm. me. I think if that were in front of me as, as in a day-to-day -day basis, I'd go bananas. In front <laughs> of me is actually very simple. I've just got my my yeah. screen. I've got a, a few notes yes. on the side there that function. I've, I've got um, certainly bits of paper on my desk, but sure. they, they're, they're, it's all fairly small. So we're actually, and particularly on Zoom, um, we're then asking people to look at all that sort of Stuff. Mm. I know when I'm sitting down in my little office area, uh, my, you know, where mm. my my uh, uh, area where I'm working with clients, that's very peaceful. I've just got some chairs and some plants and some um, very simple things, uh, uh, and people can choose which chair. I have three chairs around the room, so they can choose which one makes them comfortable. But when we go onto this Zoom thing, um, we've actually. Yes you know, got that. So I guess, oh, and there's all the, but that's just oh. an interesting thought to say. And I, what I wrote down was um, it's, it's wise and useful for us uh, in our um, co-creation of, of managing life to supplement uh, with external enhancements, uh, you know, saying, okay, 
be, and by knowing about it, saying, I know that what we need to do is we need to itemise, the left brain needs to itemise things, and they're not itemising well what they're doing. Okay, how about we try this thing with the post-it notes? Does that help you itemise, gives you an external bingo. enhancement? That's what, uh, and that, that, yeah, well, I've got the bingo, so I'm just, <laughs> I go, oh, I see yeah. what you yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's the yeah. You know, I'm actually thinking of, of four take homes that I think really uh, the two of you have just articulated. And uh, um, maybe this is a little um, basic, simplistic, but uh, but I appreciate that what we want to do is sort of think theory and then no, just no, we, uh, so, some yeah. useful tips. It's, it's, it's we, we like simple. Yeah. We like yeah. simple. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so number, number one, while it's true that something like a backdrop may be difficult, it's again, that's the opportunity for us to all be armchair neuropsychologists and to help people think about what that information means. So I'll just throw out that's the beauty of the whiteboard, right? It's very interesting right. to be keeping and you've you've heard me say that being able to write things down and have people refer to it helps in terms of their processing and their memory. So uh having let's say an agenda or some take home themes on the whiteboard number 1 then you download it you can text it or email it to your client and it's great for everybody to then refer to look at look at a bunch of them but number 2 it gives the opportunity to provide a more neutral space and then to discuss with the person what do you think what about using the whiteboard is helpful are you noticing a difference when i'm off in the corner or uh, and and we're writing some things interactively. Mm, what, yep. what do you think that means in terms of how to? So so let's use the whiteboard. Let's use it as an opportunity to think about what what helps or hinders. Number two is this idea of we want them to be able to have something to look at because again we want them to be able to be both. You've heard me say this before: efficient and effective. One of the challenges of working with complex detail, right? And manipulating it is that it taps into those very vulnerabilities of processing speed, mentally filtering, being able to make a plan and to execute it, right? And we know that that COVID has been found in the frontal lobes quite a bit. We think it goes through right through the olfactory and that's when the areas in the brain where it seems to, to lodge. So it would make sense that that's difficult along with are all adapting to needing to juggle so much. So doing things like having the whiteboard or another referent, I have a colleague who uses voice memos, another way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, also for some, some clinicians would like this, others would not, but I do a lot of texting clients in between appointments. Okay. Now I'm a learning specialist. I'm not a licensed psychologist. And of course there are confidentiality and other, um, other issues of that sort that are very important, but those texts are often a way to stay in touch and to give people those visual reference um, hmm. I would also say that it, that it's been very interesting for me because a, a big component of my practice is working in a more holistic way and kind of doing case management. And so uh, clients are often hiring me because they want that follow-up in between. And, and that's an interesting thing for clinicians to think about. So we've talked about the whiteboards. We've talked about texting. Third thing, having these discussions with clients is a way of 
trying to help them learn how to keep self-assessing, both in terms of stress. And for example, Richard, you were talking about is this tapping into a, a trauma feeling, but also in terms of this area of metacognition, understanding their own thought process, right? Yeah. So, oh, it's interesting when, Matt, when you wrote down for me, think about the yoga, uh, no, if ending early helps my sleep cycle, write down two things and whether they take longer than you expect, you know, that was really helpful when I'm, when I'm studying for that exam or when I need to figure out what to do before I pick up my kids from school, here's how I can apply. We call that transfer of training, right? Mm, here's yeah. how I can turn key it. So there's that metacognition piece. I'll just throw out number four. I'm going to mention somebody whose research I've discussed before and just show this book, Reader Come Home by Professor right. Marianne Wolf. I've mentioned her research before. She was at Tufts University for many years and she's now at UCLA. She's a literacy professor. Uh, she actually uh, studied, she did her doctorate, the place where I did my master's. And I've tremendous regard for her as a professional and as a human being. But one of the things that Marianne wrote about in Reader Come Home, one of her many wonderful books, is she really summarized research she had done with colleagues around the world that showed that the nature of reading is, involves many different brain circuits. I think I mentioned to you in the past, she cleverly calls it the circuit de soleil. She yeah. <laughs> different parts that are lit up. Yeah. And one of the things that she found in this reader come home research with her colleagues worldwide is that people tend to overestimate what they feel they're comprehending and absorbing when they read digital content. I oh. think I mentioned in the past, yeah. she calls this the biliterate brain. And what she means by that is that the way that, it may be different for our grandkids, maybe for three-year-olds who grow up learning with plastic brains how to read these days, but at least for us where a lot of our systems are in place, when we are reading print, okay, which also could be holding an iPad below our eyes, the saccade or the sweep of our eyes is different. And the way that we absorb information is more effective than when we're reading digital content and PDFs. Wow. And oh. so, yes, what's, what's directly Please. in front of you. Yeah, I, that, that's right. That, 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 that movement of, 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 of the eyes um, that we don't realize is there, and, and interestingly, that 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 movement of the eyes, that little shake of of the eyes that we have, evolutionarily, uh, was the thing that enabled us to be able to um, to to be able to focus on dangers, on um, things Indeed. that were moving in still environments. Uh, and so, when the way that it uh, the way that nature adapts the qualities it already possesses in order to enable to to embrace changes in and particularly in social evolution is quite fascinating it's, it's quite uh, extraordinary and and i'm uh, that was really uh, that's fired off so many buttons in my head uh, i've got a couple of other books on mm -hmm. eyesight and things i'm going to rush off and and remind yes, myself yep. of this what you're looking at directly in front of you and what you're looking at that is down down lower that's a really interesting Aspect, but uh, not wanting to to, to diminish from, from to take up the concentration away from these beautiful four Please. four elements. But it's because I, I just go back. I mean, I use a whiteboard in my office um, face to face, mm. which 
because yes. it because it creates a, a, a beautiful little external thing. So, but it's just a matter of learning how to do that. And I see on the Zoom thing, new the whiteboard thing. The, the I just saw the, the fuss of that, mm. and that that idea of something to work with later. I mean, which which fits in so much also with the ultradian rhythms that Ernie Rossi and I talk about. That every yes. hour and a half to two hours, you have a, a, a reviewing so an energetic flow. Uh, so having something to work with when you come to points that you can work with it and they are there. So that's lovely. And the fact that you text people, I do that with uh, with selected clients as well. Uh, I don't encourage it too much because otherwise you'd spend your whole day uh, on the text. You've got to be yes, careful. that can happen. You know, that metacognition, allowing both you as the therapist to explore their metacognition, the, you know, so the, the neurocognitive or what we call my, maybe the, uh, called the psychometric testing, you know, giving some yes. indications of that. So that's for you as well and, and for them and then going back now again of, of, um, of looking at the changes in capacities that are going on uh, with the the, the this electronic environment um, as different or in in um, sort of complementarily to the face to face environment. I mean, that's just my quick sort of um, excited response yeah. to exactly. the four things that you've just put together. That's a that's a great summary. Yeah. And unfortunately, my short term memory is just stuck on this um, point that I'm justified in buying all of these hard copy books. <laughs> oh yes, there's a reason you've got some important things on those bookcases. That's right. Absolutely, and and actually building upon what you were saying, Richard, it's very interesting because uh, uh, while I've spoken a bit with uh, Professor Wolf, who's again an incredibly gracious uh, professional, uh, I've spoken with her a bit during COVID. But this book predates COVID. One of yeah. the things she writes about and is particularly focused at UCLA, builds upon what you were saying, Richard. You were talking about this from almost an anthropological or sociological point of view in terms of scanning, taking in information and interacting. One of her other points, which is really very much resonates, she says, you know, if people think that they understand more than they do, as they're scrolling through a PDF or reading digital content, not only is it a problem because they don't really understand the information, she says, to your point, Richard, it creates a gap in what she refers to as reading empathy. Mm. She contends, how can we uh, truly understand the perspective of the reader and then react to it and incorporate that person's point of view if we don't truly understand what the person has written. And so really that's a 21st century literacy bent on the very point that you've made. Yes, it, it is that fascinating thing I mean, I, of um, speed reading, uh, uh, um, reading faster, of, of learning to scan, of learning to minimise. And after many years of investigating a lot of those things and also being an actor for so long and, and also being yes. a writer, I've actually returned, uh, or I have for many years, but I've returned my focus saying, like, after looking at all that, what is important is every word. Is every word in its connection to the other words? Is the rhythms and patterns that those words then create? Is the phrases and then the clauses that, that then come out of it? And by going to these things where you just jump to individual words or quick look at phrases, um, you are missing that whole point of what the um, 
of what has emerged from the writer uh, mm. who is mm. trying yes. to express themselves. And people say to me, I say, oh, you could have made that much simpler. I said, yes, I could have. Uh, but then you wouldn't have got the depth and the richness. What do mm. you want? Do you want Shakespeare not to give you the five metaphors? Uh, yes. You, you just want the one you like? And this is, of course, the the the, the fast system of modern society, which, yeah. which we're still evolving. And now COVID... Gosh, maybe um, coincidentally, it's it's forcing many of us to slow down. Interesting. Yeah, mm. and, and and to to the points that each of you made earlier, it's an opportunity for us to think about what this means and understanding people's experiences. It's an opportunity for us to think about our related disciplines and how they can coalesce. Right. Yeah. It's also an opportunity to help our clients have a sense of agency. Uh, as an example, uh, Richard, often when I'm working with people who must use PDFs, for example, schools are often mm-hmm. providing only digital textbooks. Imagine getting over Lyme disease or, or long COVID and being told you need to only use a, an online textbook. Or you can only take a test in a what they call computer adaptive way, meaning scanning the computer screen and clicking a button instead of pencil in hand and circling key information. Challenge, big, big area of my work is advocating. But in any case, going back to it, part of what we can do is remind people that the more they're using their reasoning and the more that they experiment with techniques that draw upon the reality of these skills, right? The better they can adapt is a, a silly little one-off. Um, very often when, when my, it doesn't matter if it's a law student, uh, an executive, or a fourth grader studying about tides, we'll often take a look at things like headings, section headings, and we'll have them try to self-assess Ah, how much did I take away from the past three paragraphs? And sometimes we'll be a bit reductionist and we'll think about what's the what? What's the so what? What's the meaning? What's the significance? And that's something where a person can then say, yeah, I've pulled that out. I've got that. I can rephrase it. How can I use that when I'm leading the meeting with my client? Or "Hmm, I'm really fatigued. In order to pull that out, it takes more time. What do I need to do with my schedule so I've got enough time to do that? How much should I be using a PDF editor and putting a little bit in my own words? Because that keeps me more focused. Um, Where am I going to store those notes so that I have them all in one place along with the book that Matt gave me? Um, So that when I'm writing my paper, I can systematize the information. Well, I think I think that's a beautiful description of just we we have this great difficulty which has been cast upon us, but is it also what what opportunity can we can we take from it and all those beautiful uh, things you've described there that allow us to re-examine, re-explore, uh, and uh, and of course what is to, to my great heart uh, is to open up possibilities, new new elements, things that are not yet known and not yet thought about or different combinations of of what we've done and i think uh, we probably we probably have to wind up uh, pretty much uh, now yep. we've we've done our we've done our time but what you said there was Thank just you. such a just a, a lovely 
collection uh, of of ideas and and hopefully everyone listening will just go back and review mm. the last 10 minutes of the speech i think there's been a lot that's been said here yeah wonderful but, uh, so what do you think is there anything more rebecca have we said everything that we can or is there something that's particularly missing or uh, are we able to wind up now how are you feeling Look, I'll just throw out something which I think we've mentioned before. You know, I've got my uh, copy of Alexander Laurie, A Higher Cortical Functions in Man, with me. And also, uh, she passed away last year, Muriel Lazak's Neuropsych Assessment. You know, we're at um, a particular stage in, in the field that we all have in this particular specialty of applied neuropsychology. And it's always been a building process. And uh, I think that this COVID situation is a challenge. It's also the opportunity for us to think about how to move the information forward, how we can work together, and also how we can really keep client front and center, giving them agency. And I'll just say, I think I mentioned to you in the past that uh, a wonderful neuropsychologist, Jane Holmes Bernstein, who was for many years at Children's Hospital in Boston, once came to speak to us learning specialist students at Harvard's Ed School. And she said, a good neuropsychologist should be able to be stranded on an island and be able to do testing and understand the individual using the water the sand, and a stick. Uh, And really, that has always, and that was 35 years ago, Mm. it really still resonates because we have tools, we learn, we take workshops. In the end, the job for us as individual professionals, what we can encourage our clients to do, what we can think as a team is, how do we use this information to really help craft an experience that moves the individual ahead. We use those tools, but ultimately it's about thinking about the individual, trying to be systematic and creative. And with that, we're going to manage and God willing, they'll be able to find ways to compensate and grow in good health. Wonderful. Wonderful thoughts to leave us with. Well, uh, Dr. Rebecca Menace, it's been wonderful catching up once again. Thank you so much for meeting with us today. Thank you. And it's always a pleasure. Keep up all of your wonderful work and sharing of information among folks in the field. We will. Thanks. Thank Thanks you. a lot, Rebecca. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I told you that it'd be a great, I told you she's fun and nice and yeah. smart as a whip. Uh, yep. Lots of great things there. So learn a million things. Those four frameworks, those four, four elements to look at, that was created today just amongst us. Uh, yep. So pay attention to those. I want to go back and research a lot of those things. All right, beautiful. And we'll we'll put a link in the show note for Rebecca's home page, which is uh, Ivy Prep, and uh, we'll direct you over there. And, of course, uh, some, she's going to send us links for some of those books. Mm-hmm. And while we're talking about books, ladies oh, and yeah. gentlemen, quick plug, don't forget to, to look at our wonderful book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. Where, I mean, it's wonderful for us because we've done it, but we're actually getting some, some very, very pleasing reviews. We, we were just chatting with a couple of people the other day and they said, whoa, this is great. I've really enjoyed reading this. And, and that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's fabulous. So... Um, yeah. Have a little look, but you can see in some of our magazines there, there's some previews, and uh, if you go to the Norton site, you can read a bit. You can so you can get a sense of where the book's going and get yourself enthused and grab it. Uh, absolutely, and uh, let us know what you think because yeah. you know yeah. we, we're all up for for engagement. Yeah, we want to improve, indeed.
Yeah. Well, Richard, it's been fun as always. Thanks everybody for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.